This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Penn State fans, guess what? We are we are hours away from February. That means January's over. I'm happy to, I'm happy about it. I think Dave Dave Jones is happy about it. We got plenty to get to here on this blue white breakdown. We're going to start with the NFL, but I do have some Penn State stuff that Dave is going to want to talk about on the back end of this podcast. He doesn't know what I'm going to ask him, but he's going to love talking about it. But Dave, I just want to start right here. I know you 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 really get into uh the NFL, especially outside of Penn State season, because you your Sundays in season, you're always working towards your your power pole. Your your you know you've got you've got stuff you've got to do Sunday morning for for us, and you don't really have a big window for an NFL Sunday. But so the playoffs now, right up your alley. Let me just start here with the conference championship games. I loved. Dan Campbell's approach. No, you didn't. I know. Just, I'm so, I just was just trying to wind your watch. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it is, I know you wrote a column about it. It's a very, I don't know if it's polarizing, but I think people. Yeah, it's polarizing. People There's, are kind of, they could see both sides of it, but you have a very clear cut opinion on some of the fourth down decisions he made. Well, I, I'm, I'm, you know what I did? I turned into you. I went to a bar on Sunday in, in Lancaster and met Gordy Jones and Mike Gross. And we How watched. How many beers did you drink? Four. Then you really need to turn into me. <laughs> oh! Listen, I did that. Fans are like, is he saying he drinks a lot? Does he not drink a lot? I just like to leave Megan. Lancaster really isn't my territory. That's not it's my home. It's not a brew pub in a uh, town. It, that was, it was called the, dis, the, the dispensary, but it's not a marijuana dispensary. Too bad for you. I don't know. You don't want to watch the NFL uh, high, do you? Really? It's it's a it's a beer league. Who each um, is own, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so we're watching the the the, Ra- the Ravens um, Chiefs games. At at what point did you think the Ravens were really in trouble? Because I went all the way through that game thinking they they're they're gonna they're gonna gain their footing. They're gonna they're gonna win this game. Their defense is too good. They're gonna start running the ball, and they're they're gonna win the game. Uh, at, at what point did you think the Chiefs were going to win it? Dave, full disclosure. So uh, the first, I'd say first quarter and a half, I was at my buddy's nine-year-old kid's Papa shot uh, free throw shooting contest in the East Pennsboro High School gym. It was supposed to be over at three. It ran <laughs> so long. I didn't, get, I didn't actually get back to, to, I picked up the game when it was, it was 14-7 Chiefs. Are you kidding? You? Dave, I, I was promised it would be over by three. Did they have beer at this thing? No. There was, it's eight, nine-year-old kids shooting free throw. It was a joke. Okay, go ahead. But I did have a case in the – no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, like when I got back, it was, it was 14-7. The Chiefs had just gone for it on fourth and one. Didn't get it. Apparently, momentum was going to be on the Ravens' side. The crowd's roaring. And I just watched maybe uh, – for, for a team that had an identity all year um, – I just watched a really, really talented team lose their identity. They took the cheese 
and uh, they deserve to lose. It was and the personal fouls. Well, the stupid, the stupid crap they were doing. Yeah, yeah, they were just way. You, you could tell one team had been there before, and you you could tell another team was just pressing. And it's unfortunate because I still think the Ravens are the better team, but they they played their worst game of the year at the worst time of the year, and I thought they should be embarrassed. John Harbaugh, uh, that that was not a John Harbaugh game. Well, you know, he trusts his coordinators. I thought the offensive coordinator got away from what they do best. Uh, they, I mean, they they did shut out the Chiefs in the second half, but for the Chiefs to win that game with 17 points was bad. Yeah, run the ball. It's raining. Run the ball. Accentuate the the capabilities. Very, very. That's going to haunt them, and it's it's going to it's going to continue to perpetuate the, the the Lamar narrative about the playoffs. Just not the, not not yeah, and that's that's sad because. While he missed some throws, it really wasn't about him. It was about the, the the lack of a game plan or the getting away from the game plan and the knuckleheaded decisions. Uh, who's number four? What's it? What's the kid's he name? He's been good all year. Zay Flowers, the rookie receiver, but he just he just lost it. it. It almost looked to me like who was their defensive tackle or defensive end who just hauled off and. <laughs> You know, on, on the off offside that gave Kansas City a first down, it looked like he did it on purpose. They, I mean, you could appreciate the intensity, but you know what? The the Ravens, Dave, the Ravens all year. I think there were probably two or three games where they they were they where they weren't where they, where they were actually in a game, and I think they lost every game. They lost at home to the Browns. They lost at home to the Colts. Um, they lost at home. Well, the Steelers, that, I mean, they weren't playing hard. But they've been front runners all year, and they've never really been pushed. And they, they, they were pushed, and they reacted very badly. It's, it's, it's awful. And it, you just can't, you, can't, you can't get a year like this back. They were, they were playing so well. Um, it, it's really, if you're a Ravens fan, you just would be sizzling mad. Like, yeah, really yeah. Mad. It's, it's idiot behavior on top of everything else that really, really killed them. And speaking of not being able to get a year back. <laughs> But the Lions, the Lions, the Lions, and Dan Campbell even said it after the game. He did it's say so it. hard to get here. And this smacks of maybe the Bengals a couple years ago, the, 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 a team that doesn't usually get there, and the stars aligned, and they had their shot, they had their chance. I mean, they were the Bengals got to the Super Bowl. This team still has not gotten to the Super Bowl, but it was there for now. We'll we'll get into the, the what I wrote about in the column, of course, and Kevin Clark and Mina Kimes and all the millennial uh, <laughs> metrics analytics proponents. They 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 are they are saying they they're like disgusted and they can't look. You can't get away from your personality that you've had all year. You can't do that because if you get away from your personality, what are you? What are you at your core? You know, I, I am so freaking sick of this. The, your personality. Is whatever the game situation is. I mean, you you have a chance, and you know this is true, especially in front of pro fans. When your team is down three scores in the middle of the third quarter, the walls start crumbling in on you, and the fans get surly. And people, if they don't, you don't know about 49er fans. They're as hardcore as anybody in the country. You wouldn't think it, but they are. And they were that like that close from turning on that team. You take the damn field goal. And I know that kicker is not automatic from 45 yards, but it's about a two to two to one, two out of three 60, chance. 40, 65, yeah, 35, 65, something, yeah. 
70% chance that he's going to make that. And, and you're rolling if he makes that because then you got a 17-point game with 22 minutes left and you're putting the onus back on him. And this is what the analytics crowd does not understand, that when you have that situation with a big homeboy with a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, weren't yeah. they? I actually had the Lions in seven-and-a-half, so I, I know exactly what it was. Hey. Yeah, oh, they, they covered. Oh, that's right. They did it. The that end. garbage yeah. touchdown. When they you were went. okay <laughs> with it. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like a cover, but it was a cover. You're right. Uh, I actually left the TV after after they they after Campbell failed on the second, uh, going for it the fourth and three. Um, I I know the kicker is just an okay kicker, but he's been in the league seven years. He's made seventy seven percent from between forty and forty nine. It's it's not adverse conditions. Yeah, it's outside, but it was great weather on on very nice turf. He's going to make that freaking kick. He's going to make that kick, and you're up three scores, and the whole crowd is going to go, oh, God, oh, they're all going to start doing this. They're all going to start doing this, and you're one mistake. You're one mistake. But what I said was, what would Bill Belichick have done then? He absolutely would have kicked the field goal. Or do you disagree? No, he would have. Yeah. Well, he also had he also had Adam Benatieri. But yeah. I know, but but no matter who he was, if he was halfway dependable, he's thinking about turning the screws a quarter turn more on those guys, and they they're one mistake from the game being over, being over. They have to score on three straight possessions. Correct. Two of them have to be touchdowns. I mean. It's not a hard call. Plus, when you do that desperation crap and act Your like voice a just cracked, you're so upset. Oh, uh, you the gunslinger stuff, or you depend on analytics. When the analytics say you always go for it on the 28 at fourth and two, you always do that. You, you, the numbers are the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. Which, which figure in history are you are you thinking of when you do that impersonation? I, I want to know. There's somebody in your past. That talk to you, or you know, that talk like that. No, it's all these. It, it's it's become very trendy for young NFL reporters to always side with analytics. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's always the cranky old men who say, "Look, <laughs> the game is about emotion too, and you have to play this like like a heads up poker match." That's what it is. That's the way Belichick always played it in in games like this. He's going to put the onus back on you, and and if if you have a 17-point game with 22 minutes, you've got Brock Purdy not playing very well. I mean, he was starting to th throw crazy passes. How about the one against his body that he looped it over the top, barely got it through traffic? There, any number of things could have happened that in that game. Instead, they miss on 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 the pass. Uh, I, I, I it was a catchable ball, but. Their wideouts are not like great. Mm -hmm. uh, the kid missed it, and and Goff had to kind of rush the throw. And all of a sudden, you've ignited the fire in that home fan base. You know what? It reminded me of the block kick in the thirty nine thirty eight game in Columbus, where Penn State. You know, the crowd all of a sudden, okay, we got this. Even though. You, you remember that? And what Penn State was up up double digits, right? At that point? Well, they, I know they were up they were up, I think, 35-20 going into the fourth, and they were up 38-27 in the fourth. So yeah, yeah I think I think the block kick was at 38-27, maybe. 
And 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 that crowd was getting nervous, and that's a college crowd that'll turn on their team. I know. I sold Coca-Cola in Ohio Stadium. And that's what you're talking about here. It, it isn't raw numbers. It isn't analytics that were all built in October and November. This is a very specific situation in a conference championship game. Now, that's my case. You, what do you think? What do you honestly think? If you disagree, so a guy that I, I really uh, follow uh, when it comes to the NFL, he's got a podcast. He was uh, he's wor- he's actually worked with Bill Belichick a couple of times. Michael Lombardi, um, uh, you know, he's he's he worked for Al Davis. He worked for Bill I know, Walsh. I know Michael yeah, Lombardi. So he, yeah. he he spent so he does two podcasts a week at this time of year. He does a Monday reaction uh, podcast to what happened over the weekend, and then he previews the games on Thursday. I don't want to say it was verbatim of what you said, but it was close. The one thing he, the one, the point he made that um, I would just cover is the thing about the 49ers offense is <clears throat> as dynamic as they are, they, they, they don't, they, they don't have a drop back passing game. All their passes are off play action, which means you have to honor the run. If you go up 17, you kind of take that component out of their offense and they got to throw. The other team knows they got to throw and everything is, you know, it, it's not as easy for Brock Purdy and, and Shanahan to call those kind of games. 17 is such a big difference from 14. They didn't need 21. They just needed 17. Now, if you want to do some analytics, give me the analytics of scoring if you get the first down on, say, the 25. What is the percentage of times you score from the 25 a touchdown as opposed to the probability that that kicker, what's his name, Hedgley? Is is, is uh, going to make Badgley. I think it was Badgley. 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 Yeah. So so I think we would make that if the middle of forty to forty nine is seventy seven percent, forty five would be seventy two percent, something like that. I'll bet you it's not seventy two percent that you score a touchdown from the twenty five. You am I wrong? No, no. Yeah. There's a lot of things that can happen. That there's your analytics. Yes. Yeah. So so just take the damn field goal. And, and turn the screws on him just a little more. It was a simple, simple decision that he made into this swashbuckling. He's a gunslinger. He's a riverboat gambler because that's who he is. No. You, 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 do, you be what the game dictates that you be, and you play as much against turning the screws against your opponent as you do who you are in that situation. And they needed the 49ers. They needed a little help from the 49ers. 49ers are a better team. They needed the 49ers to implode on themselves as much as they needed to beat the 49ers. So that's that's my whole rationale. I got gotcha. you. So yep. So 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 we got Chiefs, uh, Niners. That that was the t- 2019 season Super Bowl that the Chiefs caught them at the finish. Different teams. Um, Jair Brown for is the is now back in the lineup at safety for the Niners. Donovan Smith is the left tackle for the Chiefs. They're probably not going to run into each other on the field. I'm, ha- I'm, ha- you know, Donovan's Donovan's won a Super Bowl with the Bucks. He's made a lot of money. I'm happy for Jair. Think about think about Jair's uh, path to the Super Bowl. You know, didn't play. He's from a New Jersey kid, not highly recruited. Goes to goes to Lackawanna for a couple of years. <clears throat> um, bides his time. He gets to Penn State. Uh, I think he I think he was there for three years. And he was, but uh, had to wait a little bit. Another Juco, uh, Jaquan Brisker, also from Lackawanna. But 
He, he came up the hard way. He got better at Penn State, played himself into a third-round pick. The Niners traded up to get him. Uh, I know that, I know that uh, Mahomes and Andy Reid will be looking his way. We could talk about that before the Super Bowl, but I'm just really happy for Jair. He was one of the he's one of the better good kid kids I've talked to. He, he not unlike Michael Robinson, just uh, in terms of their personality, um, engaging. They had fun with they had fun with the interview process. They never got nervous when you asked them a question. They kind of turned the tables on you a little bit just to see how you would react. I just really really like that about. They talk to you with a smile on his face, yeah. like. Uh, the whole thing was fun to him. Football is fun to him. And he got better and better and better until you, you knew he was going to be a, at least a second day pick by the time he got to the draft. And the best thing about it is he went with a good organization, which can mean everything to what happens to you when you get in the NFL. It didn't hurt that the starting safety, who was a budding star, tore his ACL. But yeah, he, right, good opportunity for a good team. And now, now that he gets more comfortable, I thought the, the more comfortable he got, Dave, at Penn State, the better he got. So this is going to be a great experience for him, a great springboard for him. Uh, I'll be watching him very closely in the Super Bowl. I don't, you know, I don't need to watch. I know Don, I know what Donovan Smith's going to do, but I, I do think that Jair's going to be, whether it's the run or the pass, he's going to be a guy that, you know, whether it's trying to deal with Kelsey or uh, – or Pacheco in the run game. He's going to be one of the key players in the game. So we could talk more about him, I think, uh, as we get closer closer to the Super Bowl. I know you're a Super Bowl uh, historian, much like myself. I don't really have a, a solid feeling uh, you don't? about the game yet. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I was a little surprised the Niners open as favored. Uh, that that surprised me. I think they're two. I didn't look at the line, and I was going to say uh, Niners minus three. Is that what yeah, it is? It's like – I get open at two and a half. Um, I just, I mean, what what was going to stick in the back of my head is at home, as heavy favorites, they could have lost lost both games in the playoffs. So I don't against teams that have no playoff experience at all. So I don't know if that bodes well for them against the most experienced quarterback, uh, the most experienced head coach, an elite tight end, and an elite defense. I don't know how that's gonna. I don't know how that's gonna go. I, I know the Chiefs have looked on offense about as good as they've looked all year uh not in the last game but that that was an extenuating circumstance against a really good defense in the rain but i remember how the chiefs looked in the middle of this season and that offense they really missed tyree kill they they looked like a different they didn't have great wideouts and and he would he, moms was struggling he was plus it's i just think that you know when when you try and repeat as a super bowl champ I don't want to say you're not motivated at midway through the season, but you're really just trying to get into the postseason. Well, I just didn't think they were very good. Right? They were always good on defense. Uh, what Andy Reid did to kind of change the offense and make it more Pacheco friendly, I think it's it to, it is his finest coaching job in a Hall of Fame career. And you can go back to you know his time at the Eagles. I mean, he, this is by far, I think. This, this is going to be the one that I think people talk about, even no matter what happens in the game. For him to do what he did uh, with this team, to go into Buffalo, which is not easy to do, to go into Baltimore, I know that Baltimore didn't play well, and to play the number one seed, I, I just think this team is, is not the equal of the uh, Niners team that won in 19 or the Niners team that won, or excuse me, the Chiefs team that won in 19. Or the I, mean, I know what you meant, yeah. Uh, so I just, I just think this is, this is his finest hour as coach. If if you had to coach them up that much, who are they really? I mean, I <laughs> yeah, I 
I just think the 49ers are better. They're 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 better they as might long be as a pure talent. They might be as long as Brock Purdy plays like he did in the fourth quarter. The the last he played free and easy when the run was there. He just took off. He's not a runner. Guy's not a runner. And he he was making winning plays. He's a well. Do you I don't know. Do you follow Brian Baldinger's uh, uh, stuff on Twitter where he breaks down the games? No. He hot. Well, you you need to file. You need to follow Brian Baldinger. He is the best at like. Analysis. Bob, don't start. Don't start sentences. You need to. You need to. You, you need you need to follow Baldinger. Anyway, but he was he he drew up a series of clips, and it wasn't. It, it was the the other plays where. Um, he knew he was going to get blasted by a defensive lineman, by the by, by the Lions' defensive tackles, destroyed the interior of that offensive line. So he got he was taking shots and throwing dimes down the field the whole game, and he is one he's one tough kid. He he isn't a kid anymore, but um, uh, they they pulled this one out of their butts because Mister Irrelevant, Mister Irrelevant to to save the day when the Trey Lance. Pick doesn't work out. They would have all been fired if it wasn't for uh, for Brock Purdy. I thought he met his crucible in this game because and and sure Dan Campbell helped him out, but because I don't I don't think they win if they get it back to seventeen. That was point twenty seven ten right twenty seven ten. So I think it was twenty was it twenty four seven at the half, and then it was twenty four ten. So it would have been twenty seven ten right. Yeah, if they get it to twenty seven ten. That that is going to be tough for him, but he might have pulled it out anyway. And as we know, all these crazy things happen to the the ball flying off the helmet of the DB. But this is the thing about if you get the game to seventeen, you don't know any of those other things are going to happen because you gain some confidence. You're you're back on a roll. Your guys start playing better. Maybe they don't drop the passes they dropped. Maybe the DB doesn't drop that pass off his face mask and it flies. Flies into the hands of it wasn't Debo Samuel, it was the other kid. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk. I can't get by Detroit. I know we weren't talking about this, but I can't get by Detroit not being in the Super Bowl because I thought it would, would have been so much fun. I mean, how often in Super Bowl history have we had an underdog like underdog like the Lions against a, 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 a team that's already been there so often, like the Chiefs? Those are always great games. Sometimes it doesn't work out for the underdog, but this is not a great Chiefs team. They could have beaten them, and I'm just kind of not really excited about this game at all. I don't know how you feel, but, but well, I'm they not. did open the season by winning at Kansas City. To just point that out, they, they they're a little familiar and they're physical up front. And when you're physical, you always I think you always have a chance. It would it really would have come down to Jared Goff. It's going to have to make some plays, and if he does, they have a shot. If not, they're going to get beat. Dang. I thought he I thought he played terrific the whole game. I mean it, the 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 plays that were screw-ups were not his fault. Almost none of them. This is the Blue-White Breakdown. All right, Dave Jones. We have a couple minutes left in this Blue-White Breakdown podcast. Penn State fans, I promise you we're going to get to some some Penn State stuff with Dave. But before, I wanted to close with this. How good? How, How good? Do you think... The average fan that's 35 and under really understands how good Christian McCaffrey is in this league to be doing what he's doing as a white guy. I'm just going <laughs> to You just went ahead and said it. Well, if you just look, I was, I've, been, I've been racking my brain 
I mean, you're talking it's about true. it's like a white cornerback, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, he's a he is a halfback who can play a wide receiver, he can block, probably one of the smartest guys on the field. His family has Allentown roots. I was born in Allentown. Um, but he uh other than John Riggins and Mike Allstott, and they're fullbacks, they don't even really play the same position. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like this yeah. is this, he's a unicorn, and I, I can't stress this enough. You I don't know that you're ever gonna see it the likes of him again. Well, he's a he's a he's a utility back and can do a lot of things. That's why I like him. Um, he's an interesting player in that you can use him all over the field. Uh, he's 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 fun to watch. Plus, he's a really tough runner, a tough physical runner. At his age, with the abuse he's taken, he's not a young man anymore. What is he? Thirty one? No, uh, I, I'm trying to remember. So I. I know when he destroyed Iowa in the Rose Bowl, I, I think that Rose Bowl game was, I want to say 18 or 19, maybe. I remember the workout room where we were watching that. Yeah, I, I, I want to say he might be, he came, he came out early. I want to say Christian's either 26 or 27. Oh, I didn't know he's that young. It seems like he's been around forever. Anyway, he's had injury problems with the Panthers. That's because they, they ran him 30 times a game. and they Yeah, he's got more wear on his tires than the average kid that age. I, I just thought he was a lot older than that. He did come out early, yeah. But, but he's not a young man anymore. I mean, he could he can end up – he's not going to pile up the yards. But, but you talk about a durable back. Frank Gore, you know, is Frank Gore in the Hall of Fame yet? No, he is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know – if he does get in the Hall of Fame, he's going to have to wait for a while. But uh, because as good as he was, it was more about the, the the length of his career and the consistency of his career. But he was never the best. Of, he was never the best no. in his position. And neither is Christian McCaffrey. But Christian McCaffrey, oh, yeah. I, can... I think he's the best running back in the NFL. Do you? Oh, easily. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah. He is. Um, he, he can do a lot of things. Um, but I just, I just really, I'm trying to think of like a comp for him. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a guy that uh, you're probably not going to agree, but I, I'll tell you who he reminds me a lot of because of what he can do, um, how he does it, and his value to him. It's Marshall Falk. Marshall, oh, Marshall, who Falk was around was. forever too. Yeah, who was yeah, around. Forever he did. Too. He did a lot of the same things that that Christian did, um, and he did them. <laughs> At an elite level, he's he's a guy that reminds me a little bit of Christian McCaffrey. I know a lot of people probably don't think that way, but I, I just look at the impact he has on the game. And nobody like he he gets open against defensive backs. He can run over linebackers, you know, in short yardage or on the goal line. He almost always gets into the end zone. He picks up the hard yards. Marshall Falk was like that too. And Marshall Falk reinvented himself later in his career and became. A, a, a utilitarian back before, before he wasn't always. And so that's a pretty good, pretty good comparison. Uh, but, but who do you have to go back to? You, you, you mentioned it. So we'll just say, this. I, I struggle with this, Dave. I really do. As far as a white running back is, is where do we go? Craig James, you know, <laughs> Craig James with the Patriots. How far? How, I guess how far technically they played the same position and they were white, but I don't know that, uh, I, I it's, it's to have to, to be this good, though, I just I, it's really hard. I'm going to have to think about this for a while because it has not happened in a long time. No, I mean, it's it's he's a pretty he's a pretty interesting player and a, a player you can use all over the field. Um, what was the Penn State stuff you were going to ask me? All right, here we go. See, my segue was 
talk, start talking about the running back, the fact that he, well, you know, I didn't get to get to the fact that, you know, Ed McCaffrey is his dad, Billy the Kid McCaffrey's his uncle. You know, his mom was like an outstanding, I think, swimmer at Stanford. So it's, and I, I, like Luke McCaffrey, all these McCaffreys that are still playing college football, they're all like, I think, his brothers. But um, what I wanted to get to, here's my question. I want to do this with you the next couple of podcasts. I want to put you on the spot when it comes to some Penn State positions that you have covered uh, during your career, which dates back to, is it 1991, Dave, was your first year on the beat? On the Penn State beat, yeah. I was covering Pitt in 89 and 90. All right. Here's my first question before we get to the running backs. What was it like being uh, in 91, being out in Los Angeles at the USC game, drinking beers and smoking cigarettes in the press box? What's, that's my first question. We didn't drink beer. <laughs> I was trying to trap you there. <laughs> but I think you probably could have back then. I did drink. Uh, the only time I drank beer before a game, <laughs> and I drank two. Go on. Now, now, where do you think it was? Well, it was probably in Wisconsin. That's right. Yeah. It had to have been already, someplace in the middle. You already knew that. Part of the country. Did, did, did I ever did I already tell no, you I was, that? No, my second guess was going to be Minnesota. I just figured that's where you would be like, you know what? I'm going to have a couple. These fans, they saw my credential and they saw, they started chatting me up. And nobody's nicer than Wisconsin fans. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're out to have Other fun. Other than Penn State fans. Yeah. Go ahead. They're out to have fun at the tailgate. And these guys keep chatting me up. He goes, why don't you have a beer? They're like sticking a beer in my face. And I'm young and stupid. And it's 1995. And finally, I said, okay. I had lots of time. I was on time getting to the stadium. I was early. So I, I had one. And I was having so much fun talking to these Badger, Badger fans that I had another. And I felt like crap the entire that I never, ever did it again. Uh, you are such a lightweight. Anyway, well, I'm you kidding. can't do that before a game. But the Coliseum. Yes, it was an open-air press box, and Nick Horvath's next to me, <laughs> and, and you didn't even have to get up. You know, I've been to a lot of stadium, stadia where you, or, or arenas where they actually had a smoking area. Now you can't smoke in the place at all. But going out with Vic Fuerhard from Wisconsin, like, <laughs> on, the, on the outside uh, during halftime of the, of the Final Four in 2000, I remember that, uh, Wisconsin guy. And I had all these smoking buddies. I mean, guys in North Carolina who covered Carolina. I'd see them all the time. Uh, Carlton Tudor, he was a smoking buddy back when I used to smoke. And it, at USC, it's so long ago that you could actually sit there like, you know, like, like, like one of those, like Jim Murray. And, and they got ashtrays right there in the, in the press box. And you're you're hitting you're hitting butts during the game. I mean, I can't believe that actually Nick, happened. Nick Horvath must have been in heaven. Yeah, I mean, you didn't even have to have to get up. I mean, it was it's hard to believe, but you could just just hit butts during the game. And uh, now that USC's in late, do you remember anything about the game, real quick? I remember that they botched it. That was a really good Penn State team that ended up number three in the country. That was the year Terry Smith was the co-captain, right? After beating Tennessee 42-17 in the Fiesta Bowl in a game they were kind of dominated for two and a half quarters and then made a big – I remember Derek Bana had a big play that looked like it was going to be a big play in the USC game. and then they, yeah, they That has to be a Penn State defensive back. It sounds just like – Number four, yes, Derek Bana. Is he was, short by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of white defensive backs, yeah, uh, which uh, there would be a long history of, of, of Penn State white defensive backs in, in games in L.A. 
Um, yeah, I, I remember him being involved in a play along the sideline that, that kind of turned the game. I don't even remember if it was positive or negative, but no. The, the great thing about a place like the L.A. Coliseum is you can really feel the history. And I wish you had been able to go to the Orange Bowl because, again, another scene smoking butts with Horvath outside behind the press box. And, you, you know, there's just a door behind the press box. And you're looking out at Liberty City and all, all these places in Miami. It's kind of a rough area around the Orange Bowl. And you can smell the place. You know, when you walk into the palestra, you smell it. It's like you smell the history. It's like you're smelling Tom Gola's socks. It, it's all and the and the and and Calipari suits. 50, 50, 50 year old caramel corn. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's all those smells melted. The orange bell just smelled like the whole area was so sultry and humid. It just kind of the whole thing smelled like mold but but not a not a bad not a bad smell i don't even not know a how bad mold. yeah not a bad mold but, but you went outside and you're you're you know your shirt is like this it's it's we went there twice in 91 and 99 i think this was 99 and those old places they're just nothing like them and now we're entombed in these modern press boxes and you don't even really hear the game you, you don't. And that's kind of a, a, a dirty little secret about what we do. We're kind of divorced from the crowd noises, the smells and all that, unlike in, in, in those old places. I wish you could have You never really went to a stadium like that, did you? Uh, no, because no, when, I, when I joined the Beat No. 2, it had already kind of started to pass. It had already kind of. You know, it was it was not real. There was not really that that experience. Dave, I, I am not. I'm not letting go of my Penn State questions for you. We're talking. We're talking about running backs, Dave. You said '91. You started. I'm going to name some prominent running backs that you covered, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So obviously, Gajana Carter, Curtis Enos, Larry Johnson Jr., Tony Hunt, Evan Royster, Saquon Barkley. I'm probably forgetting a couple. I'm sorry, but Dave, Kajana Carter or Curtis Enos, who you got? Kajana Carter simply because of his speed. Right. Um, I think it's closer. People forget how good Curtis was. Curtis Enos was Curtis Enos was like Mike Tyson's hand speed. You know, a big man who once he got going, you did not want to get in front of him. He was a terrific college back. He really was. If if he had eight or ten yards of of clean air to get moving, woo. I mean, the the game I always remember is the 97 Ohio State game in State College. Um, And it was it was an amazing uh, the kid from Downingtown who now I'm forgetting. um, 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 Aaron Harris. Aaron Harris. They he and he and Curtis Enos both had. Huh? Said I didn't even cover the team that day. I know it's a long time ago, man. Uh, But But I just I thought maybe I thought maybe I mean, I think everyone. Look, I mean, Kajana Carter was unbelievable, but I just think that people forget how good Curtis was. Different kind of back. Um, both both of them had their NFL careers really uh, snuffed out because of significant leg knee injuries. I know Curtis scores ACL, but I think Curtis Enos was. I thought maybe you might say Enos actually. You got so used to watching Carter's burst out of a hole that you became became immune to it. 
But man, you know, if I talk to Tim May or one of those guys from Ohio State who saw great players all the time, they would just go, holy crap, because his acceleration was just so smooth. He didn't look like, like he was necessarily accelerating those that fast until he was going by linebackers in the hole like they were standing still. And that was, that was his gift. Curtis was, was power and speed, but only speed after he got going a little while. Uh, Carter's, Carter's gift was that, that incredible burst back then. And there were other, other guys that you really enjoyed from a standpoint of just they were fun to watch. Larry Johnson ran angry. Larry, Larry Johnson would. That's because Larry Johnson was angry. He was was angry. I'm pretty sure he was angry. But you know what? I probably didn't cover the, in my mind, the greatest Penn State back of all time because I think it's Kurt Warner. I agree with you that. I I do. I'm I'm with you on Kurt Warner. I think that if I had to pick one, considering some of the games he had against some of the defenses he ran against and some of the big games – I think he and talk about he would be in the Hall of Fame if he didn't have knee injuries. Yeah, in which he did in Seattle after a pretty yeah, good pro career. That's because Chuck Ground Chuck Knox ran him forty-seven times a game because he didn't want to throw the ball. Coaches, coaches like that don't you know yeah. they don't exist anymore. Well, yeah, what do I care? Ball's not heavy. Um, <laughs> okay, two more. I got two more running back questions for you. It's not a question. True or false, Dave? True or false? Tony Hunt was the most underrated running back you covered at Penn State. You know who I was talking to a couple weeks ago? is Jay Paterno. And we ended up on the phone for like an hour. And Tony Hunt, I brought up Tony Hunt, and he was like, he said exactly what you said. I mean, in his tenure. And people can compare <laughs> Jay so to Brian. True. I say true as well. It is true for you, right? Most yeah, 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 yeah. Um, People can compare Jay to Brian Ferentz if they want, but that isn't true either. I mean, Jay had a long run. Ferentz is one on one, man. He's he's not. He's, he's got his own got his own spot in history. Jay and uh, Jay had a hand in building the the 05 offense, which was pretty damn good, and the 08 offense, which was was very good. I mean, two offensive players of the year and Daryl Clark and Michael Robinson. That can't be that bad. And, and Tony Hunt was a part of that 05 team that was indispensable because if you needed four yards, man, he could get it for you. If you had Robinson and Hunt at once, having to, having to cover them both out of, uh, when they're just getting the spread going, what people forget about the one game they lost, and they, they lost, lost it basically because of Joe trying to gum it to death, because that Penn State game, that Penn State team was so much better than that Michigan team. That was not a very good Michigan team. They should have won that game going away. But even so, when they needed a drive to go ahead at the end, Michael Robinson and, and Tony Hunt just, just owned it, and they, they ground down the field all the way to a touchdown that looked like it was going to be the winning touchdown. Uh, because you, it was very hard to guard them both. Uh, if they got going, it was, it was, it was tough. Tony Hunt was a tough uh, – the 26 before Saquon Barkley, by the way. Um, Tony Hunt was a tough physical running back. I, I guess you, you compare him to um, – um, uh, oh, God. I, I, I'm Todd Allen. Um, no. Um, um, That's what I would compare him to. <laughs> uh, Bar- <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm so old. Barkley's understudy who ended up in the in – the, in Oh, the Miles Eagles. Sanders. 
Miles Sanders. Is that a good comparison to yeah, Tony I, Hunt? He reminds me. I see a little Katron K- Allen, and I think has a little bit of Tony Hunt in him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got one more for you. Listen, I think this is a question that Penn State fans are like. I, I think, I think Evan Royster gets kind of gets kind of a raw deal in the history books, uh, the all time leading rusher. But he kind of gets dismissed because he stayed he stayed as long as he could. But that doesn't mean he wasn't a really, really good running back. And I think that I think he deserves more credit for what he did at Penn State. Well, you talk about Frank. I talked about Frank Gore. Just being durable, being durable for that long in a college career. I mean, I grew up in the day where people like Bill Mallory and George Perlis were running run their tailback routinely 40 times a game. Evan Royster didn't do that, but he was consistent. You know, people people forget him because he wasn't exciting. And he wasn't. He was not an exciting runner. He was a plugger and he was consistent and he hit a hole. He was above uh, average at everything, but he wasn't great at anything. Right. And he wasn't dynamic. He wasn't, but he hit a hole. Uh, there are a lot of guys right now who w- will not hit a crevice and make two yards into four. And Evan Royster did that. That's why he got all the yards he got because he was dependable. But people are never going to give him credit because. He wasn't a highlight reel. He just wasn't. Yeah, I think I just think that yeah of, of the of the of the running backs that I've covered, I would say that he is a guy. He's the program's all time leading rusher, and I think people just are like, eh, you know. Uh, but I I just think that he did play in the NFL. Um, you know, he was a lacrosse player in high school. Uh, I just I just think that he deserves a little bit more. I I would be nice if they brought him back, and like he would get a standing ovation because. Like you said, the guy the guy uh, brought his lunch pail. He always answered the bell, and even against good teams, you know he may he might not have gotten 150 yards, but he was they had to, they had to be they had to be aware of him at all times. Remember how Joe really never really liked to give him all that much credit. <laughs> I think that's where it started. What was that about? I don't know. I mean, Joe at that point in his life, I don't think I think he was a little bit crustier than. I think a lot of people would see it that way too. It took a lot to get him going, I think, when it comes. And he didn't like to praise anyone, Dave, because he knew that he, he coached so many great players that if he said one thing about Evan Royster, then, you know, he had some explaining to do, you know, at, at uh, homecoming because I, I can see why Joe did that because I, I just think there was no right answer for Joe because he coached so many great players. You know, to that point, he didn't really give Larry Johnson that much credit. He remember after he hit two thousand, it was smart for him to kind of do it that way. Yeah, and and I gotta say, of all the you talk about a memorable back, Larry Johnson might have been more memorable than Kajana in, in that that the the way he ran and the and like post game interviews and <laughs> he just said exactly what he thought and he didn't give a damn what anyone thought. He ran the way he wanted, and he didn't give it a damn what was in front of him. I mean, that, that was a memorable guy. Yeah, and it was just funny to me because I that was my first year was the year he went for two thousand. But I'm like, how how did this guy have to wait till his fifth year to get on the field? <laughs> like, I don't he had a right to be angry. That. <laughs> Not sure. There might have been a misvaluation there. And you, you'll probably never forget the Auburn game when it was windy yeah. and Zach Mills kept throwing balls around in the wind and they finally brought Robinson in because Larry went crazy after the game. Like, why wouldn't they give me the ball? Why wouldn't they give But Auburn was actually defending him. They had a couple of good backs too, Cadillac Williams and uh, Ronnie Brown. They were, yeah. they were okay. And they they, re- they redshirted Brandon Jacobs because they didn't have any room at the end. 
Yeah, and they had Jason Campbell, that quarterback, and their defense was really, really good. Really so, good. I yeah. mean, it wasn't really – Larry. I don't know that Larry was right, but he, there are very few Penn State players who've said exactly what they thought in the postgame, and he was he was one of them. I mean, what are you going to – you're like, what are you gonna say to him? Look at him, like he's he was, you know, he was a, uh, he was a guy that uh, he, he got your attention, and he was he was he was he he was like a I don't know he was like a combination of an inside linebacker defensive end with four four speed playing <laughs> he wanted to, who he never wanted got to tired. Speed. He wanted to punish defenders. He wanted to run over them, and it probably killed him in the pros. I mean, he had two seventeen hundred and fifty yard seasons. Back to back, didn't he? Oh, Herm Edwards ran him 430 times one year, and that. Oh was my that. God! And then Vermeil after that, I guess. I think uh, it was the other way around. It was Vermeil. Remember Vermeil? Vermeil gave him crap coming out of. He, he was like performing like a rookie, and Larry didn't take that well. But eventually, because they had Priest Holmes, they had Priest Holmes when they drafted Larry. After that Auburn game in the Citrus Bowl, I'll never forget it because they lost 13 to nine, and Manny was pissed. And Bud Dahlman, who I just got a beautiful letter from, by the way, and I had a, I, I, a really nice letter from Bud. Uh, we didn't always get along back then. He was the, the media relations director. <laughs> and after that game, Larry was just going off on how they, why wouldn't they use, it was his last game. Why wouldn't they use me more? And Bud, Bud took, took Larry and said, all right, that's enough. And, and like yanked him out of the, uh, I couldn't believe it. And we were going, no, 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 that's not enough. That's not enough. But they had to drag him out of there. Boy, Citrus Bowl, what a great stadium. I just really, really kept it up to date. Great neighborhood. Just first class all the way through and through. Great experience. Do you remember the Sombrero? There's a weird stadium. You went to that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember them all. I remember them all. All right, Dave, we are, we are way long here at 45 minutes. But... Who knew? We thought we didn't have anything to I'm talk gonna, about. I'm going to keep surprising you with these Penn State questions, my you man. Know, maybe next time I'll be able to re remember Miles Sanders' name. See, this is why I'm getting out. This is why I'm getting out. Maybe read the record book, okay, my man? Because it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I'm coming for you, Jones. Yeah, I'm going to have to be, because I've got all this in my head. And sometimes when, when recent memories come in, they just stuff up here just leaves. It has, it has to leave. There's, there's not, enough, not enough room in here. Really? I, there's a lot I could say about that comment. I'm just going to say it's probably not enough room in there. That's like, that's probably the tagline right there. I'll see myself out. Not enough room in there, Dave Jones. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live.